Well, hey, Jubilee fam, happy Sunday. It is a great day, not just because football has finally begun, but it's the day we get to be together. It's the day we get to dive in to God's word. If you're new with us, we are a community of people who are committed to helping all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. We believe that Jesus is real, that he can, he's someone that we can have a relationship with. He's an actual person, but more than just you and I, he was able to predict his death, burial, resurrection, and then pull it off. And so because he did that, we put him at the center of our life. We love him. We run after him. We want to be like him. We want him to live in and through us. And so if you're new with us, you're going to hear a lot about Jesus. And we want to help you discover a relationship with him. And we want you to help we want to help you find family. We believe that church should feel like family, and you're so welcome among us. And, and more than that, too, we, we also want you to discover your purpose, that we're not just here to go through some empty rituals. We're here to discover why we are here on planet Earth, that God has a plan for each and every one of us, and he has a plan for your life, and we want to help you discover that and then make a difference. You were designed by the creator of the universe to make a difference. And we want to help you take those next steps. And how we do that is through something called Growth Track. And so we hope that you would get uh, signed up for that. And we hope that you would be, come and be a part of us. We are so glad that you are with us. Well, today I want to finish up our series called A New Normal. There are things about 2020 that we hope, we hope go back to normal, but there are some things that we want to take a hold of that we uh, hope become a new normal. And this last one I want to talk about is confidence. How can we move out into the world in strength? Maybe 2020 has shaken your confidence. Maybe it's made you feel weak. It made, has made you feel unsure, made you uh, want to shrink back. I want to talk about how you and I can have a confidence in every situation that does not falter when things get bleak, but actually it grows and grows and grows and grows. And so before I do that, I, I want to pray. Uh, I, I want to I talk to God, and, and, and the reason why I want to do that uh, is because we, he's here. He's amongst us, and we have a real relationship with God. We believe that he is alive and that he is with us and that what is, I'm getting ready to do. Uh, this isn't a pep talk, but we are communicating God's word, and we just want to recognize that his presence is with us. But more than I get to pray, um, you get to pray as well. So I hope that you would join me with me as we do. Lord, we just thank you. Um, for this time together. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this ability to study your word. We thank you that you revealed yourself to us. And we thank you for all the blessings that you give us in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, back in March when the pandemic hit and it was obvious that we were not going to be able to have in-person service, uh, there was this mad rush to pivot everything online. Um, and our, our teams just did an amazing job. Uh, they continue to do an amazing job. I was just very, very impressed with what everyone could do. Our staff, our volunteers, our tech people, they pulled it off. Stunning, absolutely amazing. And, and on the outside, I mean, personally, I was like in go mode. But on the inside, I experienced an insecurity, really, that I hadn't having really experienced ever, to be honest with you. And I had no idea, because the reality is I had no idea how my sermons are landing. I'm used to coming into, uh, you know, coming in on a Sunday and preaching. And, you know, there's hundreds of people who are constantly giving you ver verbal and nonverbal 
feedback, and now it's just me. It's, it's a camera. You know, it's a couple sound guys who have so many dials and stuff that they have to pay attention to that they're not really tracking with what I'm saying. So I don't really know how these sermons are going, and it made me feel insecure. I mean, even the NBA, they've got fake fans. I mean, we don't, I don't even have that. So I'm not really sure what's going on. And not only that, I don't know how you're doing. I mean, you could see me right now, and, and, and I'm gonna tell stories about myself, and there's gonna be a sense to where you're gonna understand what's going on in my life, but I can't see you, I'm not with you. And, and so that, that created in me this sense of like, man, am, am I doing good enough? You know, why, you know, why would someone listen to me? There are so many other good communicators out there, and, and maybe people don't wanna listen to me. Maybe, maybe they're listening to somebody else, or, or maybe they're doing something else, and what's gonna happen to our church, and is our church going to survive? And all these insecurities began to fall upon me, and I did not feel strong. I did not feel confident. I felt weak. Now, maybe in this pandemic, you have felt weak. Maybe you feel weak right now, that you feel frail, that you feel not good enough. You don't feel like you're up for the task, which is a very scary thing for us in our culture because everything in our culture says, be strong, you know, keep it together. I mean, if you were to think about your favorite TV show, uh, there, there's an episode, there's a moment somewhere in that TV show where like the main character is like in a life or death situation and, and they cry out, somebody help me. And then, and then, you know, the hero comes over, looks him in the eye, you know, the, you know, the camera comes in close. It's like, you got to keep it together. You got to stay strong. And they're like, okay, I'm going to stay strong. And we're like watching this, you know, and we're like, yeah, stay strong. And it's a moment because even from a young age, we are taught, you know, that we are to be strong. So like, you know, I remember being at baseball practice, you know, taking a baseball off the shin and the coach's like, don't you cry. You be strong. Okay, I'll be strong. And then I get in the car with my dad and I can't even get the straw of my Capri Sun. He's like, you know, you be strong. And yeah, I'll be strong, dad, I promise. One of the great compliments in our culture is, man, you are so strong. That, that, is, that is a compliment in our culture. I mean, when is the last time that you look somebody in the eye and say, you know what, I respect about you? Man, you're, you're rock bottom. Like, you, you uh, I, I really respect that. Like, you are at the end. You know, you know what I love about you? I love your weakness and your insecurity. I mean, I just so respect that about you. The truth is, in times of difficulty, pain, and suffering, we do need strength. We do need to be strong. We do need confidence. The question is, and what I want to talk about today, is where does that strength come from? Where do we get that kind of confidence? A industrial strength, confidence, good in every, situ- in every situation. Well, today I want to show you from the scripture, Jesus actually, I should say, wants to show us from Scripture, a different way, a different way than what we get in our Western culture, which is pull your bootstraps up, you know, like, man, you, you be you, you do you, you be strong. Uh, Jesus shows us a different way. And so in our main text, uh, he, he says something that is a total contradiction to how you and I were raised. We were, we were raised to be effective, to be successful. Jesus in this text though, teaches us a better way, a better way to confidence, a better way to assurance in any situation that you and I would have zero hesitation in knowing who we are, knowing that we're loved, that we're okay, and that our future is bright. And that's what Jesus wants to talk to us about. So in Matthew 5, 17, he says, do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Now, he says law or prophets, uh, that is our Old Testament. 
All right, we, we've, we've added that word, that phrase to mean the law and the prophets. So when he says law and prophets, he means the Old Testament. He says, I have not come to abolish them, but I have, I have come to fulfill them. I have come to dot every I and cross every T. So when he says this, he says, I have come to fulfill the entire Old Testament. Now the Old Testament could be summarized as this, the old way of relating to God, which is based upon your performance. So I perform, I do certain things in order to have this relationship with God. That old way of doing things, Jesus says, I am fulfilling it. Uh, this old way of relating to God based on your performance, I am fulfilling it, I am completing it, and I am going to usher in a new way of relating. So now Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he begins to uh, unfold and display and declare and explain this new way of living, this new way of being human, which is not based upon our performance, but is based upon his performance. And I've just got good news for, for you. His performance is perfect. So he says that I have, I am finishing and I am fulfilling the old way of living, the old way of relating to God, which again is based upon your performance. These, uh, the entire Old Testament and all of its laws and all of its prophecies, he has come to fulfill it even on the cross while he was hanging on the middle cross between two thieves for six hours. Even in that six hour period, he was fulfilling over 600 prophecies, which is a mathematical impossibility to say the least, but Jesus meant this literally and he did it. So he's saying, I am going to fulfill all the rules, all the, prof all the prophecies, and I am going to usher in a new way of being human, a new way of relating to God. So he says, I am going to fulfill them, which means that we're going to move on. So uh, let me be very, very clear. The, the Old Testament, the, for us now, that is the old way of relating to God. And the New Testament, the new covenant is now how we relate to him now. So now when we look at the Old Testament, all that we need to see and what we need to get from the Old Testament is that it's pointing us to Jesus. It's not pointing us to a few smart lessons. So the Old Testament is not about Noah. It's not about Abraham. It's not about Moses or Elijah or Ruth or Samson or Jonah. It is all about Jesus. Uh, if Solomon were here, he would say, "This is you know the Proverbs is not about my wisdom. It's not about, hey, here's how you can do better with your finances. Here's how you can do better in life. He would say that all of my wisdom is pointing to a greater wisdom that is Jesus. David and Goliath. David and Goliath. It's not about how you, the underdog, can defeat giants in your life. David and Goliath is about Jesus. It's a pointer to Jesus. It's about the one, the only one who is both willing and able to take down the real giant in our life. That is Satan, sin, and death. The whole Old Testament is about Jesus. He fulfilled all of it. He says, I am finishing this arrangement. I am finishing the arrangement based upon your performance. I am ushering a new way of doing things based upon my performance. For he says, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it is accomplished. What did he say he was going to do with the Old Testament? He said he was going 
to accomplish it. And he says no one messes with the law. The law is perfect. It's not going to change. It's not going away. But what is happening with it is I am fulfilling it. Not just the big 10, the 10 commandments, but all the 600 plus laws that were created. And we're trying to be fulfilled by all of the people, all the Jewish people right now, especially the law, especially the Pharisees and the scribes, which we'll get to here in a minute. So he says, therefore, whoever relaxes on one of these commandments, now he's going somewhere with this. Now, you need to follow me on this, but understand that Jesus is talking about himself. He's pointing to himself. So keep that in mind. Stay with me. He says, therefore, whoever relaxes on one of these commandments and teaches others to do the same which what the Pharisees were doing, they're manipulating the law. Uh, anyway, to stay on top, he says, we'll be called the least of the kingdom, but whoever does them and teaches them, whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Um, he wasn't just a teacher, but he was a doer. Jesus did the law and he teaches the law. You know, if you, Jesus is not, he is a good teacher, but he's not just a good teacher. He is one who wasn't just a teacher of the law, but he was a keeper of the law. In fact, he kept it perfectly. Second uh, Corinthians 5, 20 says that he who knew no sin, he knew no sin, he became our sin. He was the perfect, innocent lamb. He was the perfect sacrifice for you and I. So he says in Matthew 20, he says, for I tell you, um, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Just in case, he says, if you're not picking up what I'm putting down, uh, your righteousness, the way that you, if you are basing, if you are basing um, your connection with God based upon your performance, your righteousness, your good deeds has to exceed the Pharisees and the scribes. Now, let me just tell you something about the Pharisees and the scribes. Their full-time job was keeping the law. That was their job. Their job was to tried to keep the law. And so Jesus is like, so no one tried harder than the Pharisees. Jesus is like, unless you try harder than the people who try the hardest, you're never going to get in. No one tried harder than the scribes and Pharisees. And they're like, well, we can't do that. They try hard in their dress. They try hard in their prayers. They try hard with their money, uh, their appearance, everything that they do, they do in order to fulfill the law. The gap between the religious leaders and the average person was astronomical. I mean, you look at me and think, well, hey, look, Brian could be a pastor. I mean, I think anybody could be a pastor. You would not think that about the scribes and the Pharisees, even in how they dress. They dress in this very ornate way, a way of saying we are different than the rest of people. The way that they spoke, you know, bless you, my child. And in all that they did and all that they said, there was this massive gap between the scribes and the Pharisees and everyone else. And Jesus is like, unless you are better than them, whew, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Everyone's like, what? We cannot do that. We don't even have enough money to do the proper sacrifices. This is impossible. Jesus here is trying to do a couple things. And I'm gonna get to how we get confidence from this. So stay with me. Jesus is trying to do two things. One thing he's trying to do, he's trying to let us know that the best that we can do is not enough to gain favor with God, not even close. Now, this was a bit of a news flash, but not as bad as the second one. He says this entire 
approach to God is about ready to become irrelevant. In other words, the entire approach to God that's based upon your performance, so approaching God based upon what you do and and what you say and how you perform, that entire system is getting ready to go away. And I'm ushering a new system that's not based upon your performance, but it's based upon my performance, um, what I can do. And just in case you know, like his audience wasn't getting it. If you scroll down to verse 48, he kind of gives the, the final blow. In, in verse 48, he says, therefore, he, he goes through a bunch of examples about how your behavior should be in order to exceed that of the Pharisees. You know, it's not, just about, it's not just about committing an act of adultery. It's about the lust in your heart. It's not just about murder. It's about the hate in your heart. He, he, he expands upon how it must exceed the Pharisees. And then he sums it up at the very end in Matthew 5, verse 48, when he says, therefore, be perfect just as your heavenly father is perfect. And we're like, God, I can't be perfect. He's like, yeah, I know. I I can't be perfect. I'll never be perfect. So what am I supposed to do? Jesus is like, well, I told you. I told you to be perfect, right? We've already established Jesus. I can't be perfect. Yeah, but you still need to be perfect. Well, what am I supposed to do then? Well, uh, you you gotta be perfect. Well, if I have to be perfect, then I'm just gonna give up then. And Jesus is like, say that again. Well, yeah, yeah. If you're, if you're saying that Jesus, in order for me to enter into the kingdom of heaven, I've got to be perfect. I'm just going to give up. I mean, Jesus, what you're asking me to do is impossible. I mean, I need like a superhero or something. I need someone to save me. Jesus is like, that's exactly what I'm talking about. That's exactly where I want you to be because the old way of, of relating to God is over. You do not have what it takes to be good enough uh, for God, that era is over. In my death, burial, resurrection, I am ushering in a new era. And maybe that is where you're at. And I just want you to know that is a good place. Maybe you're feeling weak. Maybe you're feeling at the end of your rope. Know that is exactly where God is wanting to bring you. That is exactly where Jesus is wanting to bring you. He wants to bring you and I to that place where we throw our hands up in the air and we cry, help. Uh, I can't do this. I don't have what it takes to do this. I, I am not strong. I am weak. I need need something outside of me to save me. And I am tired of trying to pull it off. I am tired of trying to prove myself. I am tired of trying to be strong. And of course, the response of scripture is like, yeah, I know. (laughs) You're dust. (laughs) I know that you're weak. I I know that you can't pull this off. I mean, I've heard... I've heard so many people say something like this. You know, I'm just going through such a season of weakness and God is being so real to me. I'm going through such a season of weakness. Now, if, if you and I were talking on one-on-one, I wouldn't try to change that, challenge that, adjust you in any way. Uh, but since this is a pretend not real conversation, let me correct you. Um, there's no such thing as what? There's no such thing as seasons of weakness. There's just whole lifetimes of it. I mean, isn't that funny? I mean, like, people are like, I'm just, I'm just going through this, such a season uh, of brokenness. And I'm like, nope. Uh, every day of every hour of every moment of your life is brokenness. Or, we live whole lifetimes uh, of brokenness. Even when you feel strong, you're weak. There is no such thing as a season of weakness. There is no such thing as a season of brokenness. Uh, You're not going through a season of weakness. You're going through a season of clarity. 
You're, you're going through a season where God is revealing what is really true. I mean, we're going through this pandemic, and it's like our, our, our mortality is being revealed. Our, our weakness, our inability to control anything about our lives is, is not happening to us. It's being revealed that's been there the whole time. I mean, we're going through this pandemic and, <laughs> and we're like, oh my gosh, you know, the threat of, of our health and the threat of our finances and our security and, and all, you know, like our freedom, like, you know, what's, what's happening to us? What's happening to us is that we're actually seeing for the first time some clarity about what is really true. I mean, ever since Adam and Eve ate the fruit in the garden, we have been in a pandemic and it's a pandemic of sin. And it doesn't just affect a percentage of us. It affects a hundred percent of us. A hundred percent of us are affected by sin. And here's the thing, a hundred percent of us will die from that sin unless someone intervenes. 2020 has been a reminder that a life built upon our performance is like building your life, building your house on the sand, as Jesus would go on to say. To build your life on your performance is to build, is like building a house on the sand that when the storms come and they come and 2020 has been a big one you will see the fragility of your life and your life will be taken away. But if you build your life, not on your performance, but the performance of Jesus, that when storms come, you don't move. In fact, it's not just that you, I got through that, but you actually grow in confidence because you realize that nothing can come against you. If God is for you, who can be against you? What can come against you? What can man do to you? Kill you? not like you, building our life on him, building our life on our performance. I mean, there's so many of us freaking out about this election. I mean, that's what you and your political opponent have in common. You're both freaking out about this. You know, what happens if he gets elected? What happens if he gets reelected? Look, if Jesus did not fulfill the law, if he did not usher in a new reality based on his performance, I get it. If this... This time period is all that we have. I get it. But Christian, can I encourage you in this season when so much feels like it is threatening us, embrace being weak. Embrace being weak because that's where strength is. Um, There's this guy named uh, Saul who became Paul. And Saul was a guy who hated Christians, Christians who based their life on Jesus's performance because Paul based his entire life on his performance and he hated them. He hated them so much that he, he killed them. Men, women, and children, he killed them. Then one day he was going to a place called Damascus and God knocked him off his animal, literally knocked him off his animal and said, okay, you're not doing that anymore. You're going to serve me. Now, Paul would embrace a life of, even though he was strong in the flesh, he would count that all weakness. And it, it, he says in his second letter to the Corinthians in verse 12, he says that he, he, he glories in his weakness, that he revels in his weakness because where there is weak, where he sees his weakness, there is the power of God. And that's what you and I need to do. That's how we will move out in confidence. That's how we will move out in strength. That is the key to our performance. The key to our performance is not focusing on our performance. It's focusing on the performance of Jesus.
How are you and I going to be kinder, more loving, uh, more passionate about those who are overlooked and marginalized, not seen, not cared for? How are we going to walk in this lifestyle? It's not by focusing on our performance or the performance to the left or the performance. It's about focusing on his performance. He's going to change us. It's not that we become uh, more and more like him for a right relationship, but understanding that we have a right relationship with the creator of the universe from that place of security and confidence that it's about him, it's about what he has done for me on, on my behalf. It changes us and it moves us closer and closer to him. I mean, you just think about the cross and I'm closing here. You're gonna hear piano music, which means that we're closing. That's what piano music means. If you look at the cross, which is the ultimate example of weakness, I mean, here's a man, stretch, his arms stretched out, dying naked. The ultimate picture of weakness is the ultimate place of God's power. Romans 1.16 says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the gospel that is the power of God. There's one thing that is the power of God. It is the gospel. It is embracing Weakness so that the power of God could be on display. Christian, where is your confidence? Where is your security? Where is your strength? Is it in what you do and what you say and who you are? Is that where your identity is or is it what Jesus has done for you? And that's gonna propel you to move out in confidence. It's gonna propel you into community so if you know that you're weak, if you know that you're needy, you, you know that you need people. I mean, Jesus, before he left this earth, he said this. He says, you're gonna need my word, you're gonna need my spirit, and you're gonna need my church. You're gonna need my community. You're gonna need these three things. Embracing your weakness means embracing community. It means getting around other Christians to spur each other on to love and good deeds, to hold fast to our confidence, to hold fast to our confession. And our confession isn't that we have everything that we need uh, in and of ourselves, but we are looking to the one and we need help with that. We need each other to point us to the way. So here's a next step. To embrace your weakness it's to not to look to, well, I've got to, I've got to make something of my life. I've got to make some money. I've got to have a career. I've got to pursue. I've got to be, I've got to be a certain kind of mother. I've got to be a certain kind of father. I've got to be a certain kind of uh, whatever, fill in the blank. It's not striving for those things, but it's resting. It's, 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 it's trusting in what Jesus has done for you and embracing where you're weak. To not run from those places, but to run to those places because that's where God's power kicks in. Let me pray for you. Father, I just thank you for this new setup. Lord, we, we were hopeless because we could never, ever fulfill the requirements to have relationship with you. Jesus, thank you for coming and fulfilling every single one of those. You fulfilled the law. You, you have dealt with it. You've completed it so that now we can live a life based upon what you have done for us. If you're, if you're watching this and you're like, well, hey, how do I, uh, how do I get a part of this? Like, you know, what, what do I need to do? Like, I, I, don't, I don't know that I've received this. I, I've, trust, I've, I've thought about, like, I need to follow certain rules in order to be in a relationship with Jesus. Well, you may have heard this word before, but you need to surrender. It's that point where you realize that your performance is not enough, that it can never be enough. And that's all you do. You just admit that, you just say, help, <laughs> I can't do this, I'm weak, I'm not strong. 
If that's you, I want you just in three seconds, I want you just to raise your hand and then you can put it right down. So if, if you want to receive Jesus, just would you, on the count of three, just raise your hand. One, two, three. Okay, now you can put it down. Let me pray for you. God, I just thank you for this confession. What a grace to them that they've, that they've realized that you have revealed to them their weakness. We, we are all weak. We are all trusting, not in our own good deeds, not in our own ability, but we're trusting in you. And Lord, we believe that this will be the confidence we need to move on. And I just pray for those who have given their life to Jesus, who have surrendered their life to your son for the very first time. I pray you keep them and bless them and strengthen them in your precious name. Amen.